All right, good morning. It's good to be here with you guys. I love the Advent season, Christmas. My, uh, our Christmas events have already started this last week. We came back last night from our first set of Christmas events, and so it's off, right? Off to the races here. Plenty of things to do. Uh, we are back home. I was back home in Norfolk, and I, I was driving by, and I seen the, the biggest nativity scene that I think I've ever seen. Um, I think the camels were eight feet tall. So, I mean, it was huge, just spread out on this whole church for the whole lawn. And so it was pretty cool to see. I, this is kind of how my brain works. I was just like, where do you store that in the off season? You know, like, all right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the nativity scene is very common. It's very familiar. We, we see it a lot. And, uh, you know, I got one up here. It's been kind of been going around. And so, Right, if you see, if you can catch the, the air in here, right? I guess Yoda doesn't belong there, I guess, but. Right. So, a lot of times with Christmas season, though, you see the nativity scene. It's very common, right? But, but what happens is the story gets so condensed and you got everything going on at one time and you got the shepherds and you got the wise men and you got everybody. It's just, everything's together. And so, real quick, I'm just gonna, kind of lay out, it's very high level, very elementary, just the where we're at in our story, because we're going to be looking at Luke 2, 25 through 35. And right, the, the events happen so fast, sometimes it gets a little convoluted. And so the beginning part's pretty easy, right, where we see uh, an angel appear to Mary and tells her that she's going to uh, be pregnant and give birth to the Messiah and then an angel appears to Joseph, reaffirming that, right, don't leave her. And so they go through, and then there's a census happening. So that's why they have to go up to Bethlehem. That's where the, the origins of Joseph's family is at. And so they go up. She gives birth at Bethlehem. The angels appear to the shepherds who then come in and praise God and give him glory. And then they leave. What happens, though, in that process now is on the eighth day, right, they, are, they are believers and, and they're going to follow the Mosaic law. And so on the eighth day, they're going to come in and they take Jesus up to Jerusalem to be circumcised. That's part of the Jewish law. And then they go back to Bethlehem. And then after 40 days, after the purification uh, that has to go through again through the Mosaic Law for Mary, they go back up and they combine two events. One is this dedication where they dedicate and they present and they give their firstborn to God and then they redeem the child back. And that kind of um, goes back to the Passover. But then Mary also offers a sacrifice uh, for her purification. So we're right here. That's, that's in the midst of our story. This is why, uh, when we go into Luke 2, they are up in Jerusalem at the temple. And just to kind of close out that season here is, then they go back, right? And, and when the wise men come, Jesus is a toddler. So we got the whole nativity scene with these wise men and the shepherds. And that's probably a year and a half to two years apart. Right, so there's a huge time gap, and we just kind of throw it on the nativity scene. Uh, rightfully so. It's perfectly fine. But it's but the stories are separated by a lot of time. And then they flee to Egypt, and then later, 
after Herod has died, come back to Nazareth. And so that's, again, that's kind of the gist of where we're at, but we're, at, we're right there, day 41 probably, of them going up and presenting Jesus and dedicating Jesus. So we're going to start right here when, it, when we look at Luke 2. We're going to jump into 25, so Luke 2, 25. Uh, in fact, actually, I, I told my, some of my family yesterday at Christmas, hey, we gotta get, we gotta leave sun, Saturday night, I gotta get back, I'm gonna teach Sunday morning. And they're like, what are you teaching on? I said, Simeon. And there's kind of some blank stares. I was like, yeah, and that's why I actually really like this story is it's, Simeon gets 10 verses, and people kind of forget about it. You tell them the story, and they're like, oh yeah, I remember him. But he's just not like the household name biblically when it comes to, um, people you would know right away. And we'll see why I like it so much. But it says in verse 25, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And so, right, we've come to this time. I think about the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? redeem your people, Israel. They're, they're waiting for this Messiah and He's born. He's here. Right? This is the pinnacle of history up until this point. Right? The paramount of all the anticipation is, is right here. The Savior has come. And in one sense, it's just as it was foretold. The Old Testament has told us many of the details of how this was going to happen. Where, to who, right? how it was going to go down. But yet, there's a lot of obscurity you know, because it didn't happen the way you expect. If you expect something, hey, you, you know what's ha- going to happen, and then you expect it a certain way, and then it happens in a different way, it can still kind of throw you off, right? And so there's a lot of obscurity here, even though they knew the Messiah was coming. And you think about just the time in history, right? Much of Israel was apostate. They were, they were following these laws, but they had no relationship. They had no faith. Genuine faith. And that's told even later when they talk about a remnant. There's only a few true believers at that time. And so it's in this weird portion, this obscure time in history, they show up to an obscure couple, right? This young couple, I mean, married, teenager at best. They're poor. So if the Savior of the world is going to come and be in the line of David, this mighty warrior king, you would think they would come back to somebody, at least of some prominence, well-known. No. I mean, even John the Baptist, right? Like, okay, his family's a respected priestly family. No, this is a poor young couple. I mean, really, nobody. Right? But God has seen their faith. He calls them righteous. And it's an obscure town, right? Nazareth. Nathaniel later even says, one of the disciples, what good can come from Nazareth? I mean, it's a town of no respect, no esteem. And then you have Simeon and Anna after this. But Simeon is like, who's Simeon? Well, it doesn't tell us a whole lot. There's actually a lot that is, you know, trying people trying to dig up and thought like, oh, maybe he was the priest. And, they were, and that's why he was involved, because they had to bring the baby to dedicate, and the, he was the priest, so that's why he was... Or maybe he was from this family, this, this famous family of Gamamiel, and, but it's all speculation. I mean, it, God doesn't include that in this story. Why? I mean, this story is about Jesus. 
And it's about him receiving the glory. And that's why I even just like this. I, I call it, you know, glory in the obscure. God doesn't need fame and, and your prestige to get glory. Like, he uses many people who are just average and common. Me and you. Right? So that's, that's really one of the things I like about this. But it does tell us the things that are important. It doesn't tell us his position. It doesn't tell us of his esteem, his ranking, his position, that he was well known. It tells us nothing like that. But it tells us the things that are important. It says that he's righteous, he's devout, and he's led by the Spirit. Those were important enough for God to mention. And righteous, when the Bible talks about being righteous, this is not something you can just self-declare. Well, you can self-declare it. It doesn't make it true, right? When God talks about someone being righteous, it's that they are justified by their faith and not by their works. They have been justified. They have been forgiven, and they are a, a, a person of true, genuine faith. They are a believer. They are a Christian. And this is what God tells us of him. Not of his own self-admonishment, not of his own self-acclaim. God says, this is a righteous man. He's righteous and devout. And devout, right? I mean, we think about someone who is devout. They are, they are steadfast. They are committed. And some of the traditional translations would say, careful. He was very careful to obey what God has commanded, right? Not just to listen, but to listen and then obey. And so as he says, this is a righteous and devout man. This is a very a very high, prominent praise for this man. And we see he's led by the Spirit. It doesn't tell us how he's led by the Spirit exactly, but we know that he's led by the Spirit. This is pre-Pentecost, so the Spirit has not descended in a permanent residence upon believers yet at this time. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would come and go. It would be on people from for a portion of time, and yet now we have the feeling of the Spirit, but this is before that. But what it tells us, again, it doesn't tell us of all these different things about his life. It tells us about these, uh, these characteristics of being righteous and devout and, and following the Spirit. And this man, I mean, this man has lived a successful life, right? He has lived a very successful life. And, and some people say, well, how can you say that? Well, because if you are righteous and devout, you, you fulfilled what God has called you to do. And so we measure success weird, right? I mean, think about how we measure success. How do you measure success in anything in your life? It's generally based on a quantity measure. Is it how many people you have following you? Is it how much money you make? Is it how much influence you have? Is it how many people know you? Is it, what is it, right? It's generally based on a quantitative measure. And yet God is like, no, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be well-known. You don't have to be any of that. What he measures is not the quantity of things. He measures it by the quantity of our faith. Think about throughout the Bible, all the other stories that come into play. When, when people, a rich man would come and he would give all this money. And in fact, they would like ring these bells and they would be like, look at this man. Look how much he gave. They just praise him. And, you know, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, he's acting like he's humble. And it's like, you know, they, they loved it. And Jesus never walked by. I was like, oh, he didn't join in that. But when the, when the poor lady gave her might, 
you know, a couple pennies at best. And he's like, hold on. He stops everyone. Did you see that? Did you see her faith? I mean, this is probably what she has to live on. It was probably like, do I sacrifice to God or do I buy some small crumbs of food just to fill my stomach? And he calls out her. He's like, did you see her faith? Her quantity was nothing. Her faith was incredible. And so when we think about Simeon, he gets 10 verses. And it's like, who's Simeon? Simeon is an incredible man of faith. I hope my life can at least replicate that in some degree, right? All of us could probably resonate with this. Who are any of us, really, to the rest of the world? Do we have famous people? I don't think so. Can't be that famous. I don't know that you're famous. I mean, right? That's, we can't be that famous, and we're probably that obscure person. Sure, some people know us. We know each other. You know, we have our networks of friends and people, but none of us are probably that famous. We probably resonate with Simeon. We're going to live a life and not be famous and well-known and super rich or whatever it might be, but we all can live that life of just being devout and righteous and faithful and led by the Spirit, just like Simeon. And so I love, I love characters like this because it feels like me. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be well-known. But I can be faithful. And God can use these same words for my life. And that's what I hope he does. But what, what is he doing? He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. I grew up playing sports, and consolation was generally not a good term, right? You were in the consolation bracket. You're like, well, best I can get is third, right? I lost. Consolation here is the, to console, right? They're waiting. They were, as, as this Christmas songs that we were singing, right? They were, they were under oppression, and, and they were waiting for their comfort, their redeemer, their Messiah. They wanted to be peaceful. They wanted to be redeemed from this situation. And again, we, we always are reminded that they looked at it in a physical way and, and God came and he gave, gave them that spiritual peace. He didn't promise to free them from Roman rule when he showed up. But that's what they thought, which is why some of the obscurity happens is they were expecting something and he came in a very different way. They expected this mighty king to forcefully take over. And he comes a humble king. The picture of the colt riding in on a colt and all these different areas of humility, a poor family. But he was waiting. And a couple of verses prior to this, as uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking about the shepherds, it says suddenly, right, when the angels showed up, it says suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts, of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. They were waiting. They were waiting for peace. That's what they wanted. And I mean, who doesn't want that, right? That's, that's what we are after in this life. We are after peace. It's been revealed, it says in, in the next verse, it's been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before, the, before he saw the Lord's Messiah. It's an interesting promise, right? How would you like to have that? It was most likely that he was old. Based on the, the words that they used describing him and the time difference here of waiting, he was probably an old man. I don't know when he got that promise, but can you imagine getting that promise and being like, I could see him tomorrow. 
or next month or 10 years from now. Like he was looking, right? He didn't give up. He trusted God, whether that was a month or 20 years. He trusted God. He continued to look. He remained faithful looking because he expected that promise to come true, right? For some of us, it'd be like, you know, do, do you tell people? And then they think you're crazy. Or, I mean, did he tell anybody? I don't know, but he was very faithful in at least doing his part. Some of you might be like, you know what? I'm going to go do something dangerous. I'm going to go skydive. Like, well, that's dangerous. You could get hurt. Unless Jesus is on that plane, I ain't dying, right? Like, he was guaranteed that he was going to see the Lord's Messiah. And so he lived that life, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited expectantly. And that's what we should be doing. We should be faithfully walking with God, expecting God in his timing to be faithful to all his promises. But he was guided, in verse 27, guided by the Spirit. He was guided by the Spirit. He entered entered the temple. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, right, as we talked about on day 40, the purification and the dedication, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, we've dedicated four kids, and this might be the weirdest baby dedication ever. Like you walk in, and some old guy comes up, and he's like, oh, let me take your son, and starts saying all these things about him. You're like, who are you? Right? Like, it'd be kind of weird, but you'd probably kind of just go along with it and smile and like, yeah, you know, make sure he doesn't drop them. But so he walks in, but think about how he was guided by the Spirit. The temple was probably an active place, probably very active. Might not have been the only kid being dedicated. I mean, there's a lot of babies being born. And so, but he was, but he was led. He saw Jesus and he was led and guided to him. And he knew, he knew this was the Messiah. And so he grabs him and he lifts him up and he has this physical encounter with Jesus. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we would all love to have a physical encounter with Jesus. Many people, as you hear, as they're wrestling with their faith, would, will say things like, I mean, if, if I could live in that day where I could see Jesus, where I could touch him, I could watch him perform miracles, then I think my faith would really be strong and complete. I, I think then I would be this man or woman of faith. If I could just see him, that tangible aspect of, of being right there. And remember, this happens later with Thomas. As Jesus dies and he's resurrected, and Thomas says, and they're telling him, Jesus is alive. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not going to believe that. And how gullible do you think I am? I'm not believing that. Unless I can put my hand in his side, unless I can touch my Savior, no. And Jesus was very gracious in this moment, and he allowed Thomas. He shows up and he allows Thomas to put his fingers in his side and touch his wounds and to, and to physically touch him after his resurrection. But remember what it says. I mean, Jesus says very specifically to Thomas, says, because you have seen, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's us. That's us. Blessed are us. Blessed are we who believe without that physical, tangible experience with God. Now, we do have to have a personal experience with God, but it will not be tangible this side of, the, this side of life. There will be a day on the other side of life where I will get to physically be with my Savior, but not on this side of life. It is by faith that we are going to believe in and experience Jesus Christ. 
And once she does, once he has this encounter with him, he says some pretty amazing things. He says, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. You can dismiss me. My life is complete. I have fulfilled, I've looked, I've longed, and I've waited, and you answered my life. Take it. I'm ready to go home. Right? He says, you can dismiss me in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. And again, it's interesting because this was foretold. It wasn't done in secret. It says, you have prepared it in the presence of all people. It was not done in secret, not hidden. But yet, because of the difference in what they expected versus what was happening, it was lost to them. It was obscured. They didn't see it. And in verse 32, even more profound was the fact that Simeon here says, you know, he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. If you remember, at this time, the Jews hated the Gentiles and vice versa. In fact, they didn't even like the half-Jews, the Samaritans. If you weren't Jewish through and through, you were not the people of God. God's not coming for you. I mean, think about Jonah in the Old Testament when he was told to go to these Gentiles, and he's like, okay, God, nope, I'm, I'm rejecting that. I'm going the other way. You want me to go there? I'm going there. Right? And then we know the story of just how God pursued him to go there. He, he hated them. He did not want them to get saved. He literally did not want them to get saved. And so there's this animosity right, near, right ha- now happening And even Simeon says, no, Jesus is going to be a light to all people, to the world, to the Gentiles, to the Israelites, to all people. He is coming back for everyone. He is here, and he's going to die for everyone. And so he has this spiritual agenda that was different than the expectations. And so what was happening in public was not even noticed by many. But Simeon, he saw him just as he had promised. And he was a humble servant. Just, Lord, this is what's happening. I see it. Take me home. This is so good. And he has peace. But that, that's a special kind of peace. That he can just say, Lord, this is, I'm ready to go. My life is fulfilled. You've been faithful. And people are looking for that. Think about the Christmas season. How many times will you see, Peace, the word peace, on signs, in songs. We are searching for peace. And people can look all over the place, and many people will tell you that they have found peace. Right? They're at a place in their life where they're just, they've found peace. And, and they're not a believer. And so at best, you can't find peace. You can maybe find appeasement. That's all you got. Without Jesus, you don't have peace. You have appeasement. You have found something to temporarily appease what you think is good. But when that fades, you'll find out there's no true peace in it. If it's money and something happens and you have no money, your peace is gone. If it's possessions, if it's experiences, if it's relationships, whatever it is, that can be taken away. And then your peace can get taken away. If that's what you find peace in. 
And so when people look for peace, the only true lasting peace is if you come to Jesus Christ. That cannot be taken away. It is not dictated based on your circumstances. Jesus remains true and faithful, and we can experience peace even in the most difficult of times. And so that's what they're looking for, but a lot of them don't even know. Isaiah 9, 6-7. This is a very common verse you'll hear around the Christmas time. It says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus is the peace that we are looking for, and it can only be temporarily satisfied by other worldly things, but it will not provide lasting peace unless you have given your life to Christ, unless you've come to him through faith. And just like Simeon, when you have done that, you are declared righteous and devout, as Simeon is. So with a, without a personal encounter, we can't encounter peace. And so every one of us, needs to experience that. And we need to submit our lives to him. And so this happens. He has a personal encounter with Jesus. And it says that his parents, in verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said. Right? You'd be pretty amazed if someone says, this is the salvation of your people. Right? He's going to be a light of revelation to the world. You're like, oh my goodness. This old man is a awesome. I love this old man. Right? He's saying these great things about my kid. But then he keeps talking. And then he says, And Simon blessed them, or Simeon blessed them, and told them, and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and will be a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thought of many hearts may be revealed. So you're like, this old man is great. And he starts saying that, Hey, your son is going to cause the fall of many people. Actually, he's going to be really opposed. There's going to be a ton of people don't like him. You're like, can I have my son back? You are no longer my favorite old man, right? Like, I'll take my kid back, please. But these these are hard things to hear. Can you imagine hearing this as a as a parent? But the interesting thing is, is Simeon speaks to Mary. Why not Joseph? Even in God's providence and his in his sovereignty and knowing the situation, he speaks to Mary. Because somewhere along the way, the last time we hear is about age 12, and Joseph is not mentioned again. He, he dies, and Jesus has a responsibility to take care of his mom. And you even see that on the cross as he's dying. He goes and tells John, John, this is now your mom. Mom, this is your son. And she goes into his home, and he takes care of her. Like he had a responsibility as the oldest son to, to take care of her. And so he speaks, Simeon speaks to Mary saying, there's going to be some hard things coming. This, this man is going to be raised up and he's going to be, he's going to cause the rise and fall. He's going to cause a division. He's going to be opposed. He's going to be hated. He's going to be ridiculed. It's going to be tough. It's going to be so tough and it's going to pierce your own soul. It's going to be painful. He was telling her beforehand, before she even cognizantly understood what that was to mean, what was going to happen. 
many who have an encounter with Jesus will reject him. And that's the truth of the matter. Not all who encounter Jesus will accept him. Many will reject him. I mean, think about Peter. All these different biblical characters where Peter, he accepts him, changes his life, and lives after after Christ all the days of his life. And yet Judas walked in the same situation, and he turned, and he walked away from Jesus. You got two people on the cross next to Jesus, two thieves. One repents and one doesn't. One spends eternal life with Jesus Christ and one doesn't. There are many. You got characters like Mary Magdalene who have a sketch background at best and demon possessed and she gets saved and she follows Christ. And then you have the religious people who you would think, yeah, this, this is be who would choose Jesus. You got the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious, the good, right? The reputable people. And they reject Jesus. Many will reject. Few will actually accept Jesus as their savior. Think about in Acts when, when Pentecost comes and there's how many people are in the upper room, right? After Jesus gets killed and all, they're like, oh my goodness, I thought this was the Messiah. What is going on? There's 120 up in the upper room praying. In Romans, it tells us there's only a remnant left. In Romans 11, it says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There's a small number of people who are faithful because this is a very difficult situation. He was a man opposed. And if you chose to follow Jesus and you put your faith in Christ, especially in this time, you would be opposed. You might lose your position. You might be kicked out of your own family, per se. You would not be invited back. You could lose all kinds of reputation, not be able to go in the temple, markets, your livelihood. Jesus would cause the rise and fall of many. He's a very polarizing figure. And I could not imagine the difficulty as a mother. Right? As Mary sees her son being ridiculed, can you imagine if your child is ridiculed publicly and disgraced and for doing nothing wrong? I would just be like the angry guy, right? Like I'd be so mad and I would want to probably seek revenge and I would probably do things that would not be godly, right? And, but it would be like, can you imagine seeing your kid go through this and you can do nothing? Or him on the cross, dying, being pierced. I, I don't even want to fathom, right? Like That's not even something I want to pretend to fathom. And he prepares her along the way, right? He, he goes and he, think about the different stories in the Bible where he says, you know, hey, look at your mother and your brothers are out here. And he's like, who are my mother and my brothers? And he starts to shift this position where he has to change eventually from son to savior, right? I, I don't go home and say, mom, I am now your savior. Like, that'd be weird, right? Like, cause I'm not, but it's like, how do you shift? At a point in time in Jesus's life, he had to move from being Mary's son to being Mary's savior. And Simeon forewarned that there would be pain. Some of that from that opposition, some of it from seeing his son crucified, but some of it also from her son pulling away that she didn't understand that this was her savior. And so he tells her of these difficulties that are coming. They would pierce her own soul. But then also at the very end it says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon is an obscure man. Probably no different than you and I in a sense of just nothing prominent. 
He's an obscure man. He has a personal encounter with Jesus, which we are called to have a personal encounter with Jesus. All of us are. And it doesn't just happen one time, per se. Yes, you get... You have an encounter with Jesus and you get and you choose, you put your faith in him and you are saved. But then it's not like, okay, I no longer have to walk with Jesus. No, then then I can encounter him throughout his word, through prayer, on a daily basis. Right? We are called to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And we can't fake it out. We can't fake him. We can't just pretend. You could walk into church and you could be sitting here each week, every week, and you could have the biggest smile, you could greet everybody, you could Right? You could pretend all you want. And you can fake me out. You can, right? You can dupe me. I, I don't know. But you will not be able to convince Jesus of something that is not true. He can, he knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. He knows why we do things. He knows the motivation. Is it for me? Is it for looks? Is it just because, right, I want to gain something? No, he knows the exact intentions of our heart, which is both comforting and a little scary, because I know my heart's deceitfulness. And so God knows my heart, the genuineness of it. I think about, about when I had an impersonal, a personal encounter with Christ. Like I, I was led over time, and I can look back now and say, man, God had just led me and drew me in. But there was a time when I gave my life to Christ, and I remember that. I remember that specifically, just how I, right, my pride and I, and I submitted, and I gave my life to Christ, and I chose to walk by faith, and it was a very special time in my life. Do you remember the uniqueness of that experience for you when you chose that, to put your faith in Christ and that you received the Holy Spirit? There, there's a very significant time in our life when we are called to do that. But then I think about the Christmas season, and it gets so busy, and we're here celebrating Jesus and his birth and why he came to save us. And we're, we get Christmas parties and work parties and friends and late nights and traveling, and we're doing all these things. How many of us miss spending time with Jesus, walking with him, that personal relationship, that personal encounter with Christ on a daily basis in the busyness of life? Isn't that kind of backwards when it comes to Christmas? We celebrate something by not celebrating it, by not, right, we want to celebrate Jesus by not spending time with him. I know that's not our heart and our intention, but that's life. It really pulls you in all these different directions. And so for you who have experienced that, you've put your trust in Christ, you, he is your Lord and Savior, during this Christmas season, take some time. If you've got a busy schedule, you're running around, schedule time. Make it a priority to step back and to be with Jesus, to spend that personal time with him, right? to read his word, to pray, to meditate, to really take the season for what it's for, to celebrate that our God would send his son to die for each one of us. And like Simeon, that we would be counted as these faithful, these righteous, devout, sanctified, led by the Spirit people. Day in and day out. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you, you get the glory in all things and that we can just be part of that. I pray as Simeon was righteous and devout, Lord, that that would be something that marks my life, that marks all of our lives. I pray that you would help us during the Christmas season to take time, just to be with you, to be in your presence.
to read your word, to praise you, to worship you, because you deserve it, Lord. And this is why we celebrate. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for our time today. Amen.